Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory, founder of TeamsRock.com. Join us as Greg interviews thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from professional sports to manufacturing to business and industry. Now, let's join Greg for another powerful episode of the Teamwork Advantage. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory, your host, where we work with people who help them understand the power between teamwork, leadership, and culture, or what we like to refer to as the TLC of business. Joining us on the Teamwork Advantage today is a gentleman I've had the privilege to know for about 15, eh, probably closer to 20 years now, Bill Cates. And well, Bill is a successful entrepreneur. He has started and sold two book publishing companies. Um, he turned his attention over to business and growing, and he's now written four best-selling books, Get More Referrals, Don't Keep Me a Secret, Beyond Referrals, and Radical Relevance. Bill's delivered his business growth message to over 500,000 professionals, small business owners, and salespeople across five continents, helping them increase revenue without increasing their marketing budget. He's also had the ability to travel around the world. He's gone to great places as an adventurer and trekked through the Himalayas, Nepal, Andes of Peru. He's lived on a houseboat uh, in India. He's climbed Machu Picchu, Kilimanjaro. We're going to talk a lot about all of that today. So, Bill, uh, you've got a lot under your belt, and uh, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Well, thank you. You know, first of all, let's clear up any misunderstanding in case they thought you said Bill Gates <laughs> and not Bill Cates, number one. And, yeah, I've done a lot, did a lot of places, but I just lived a long life, so that's what happens yeah. <laughs> when you hang around a long time. Well, when we're around long enough, we get that privilege, don't we? We get to do stuff. That's right. Right. <laughs> So let's, let's go back a little bit. Uh, I know your story, so I'd just like to hear the story from the beginning when you got into sales and how to get referrals, because that's a lot of your foundation here and how that all started to come about. So can you tell us a little bit about your, uh, I guess it was your Cub Scout days? Oh, well, if you want to go that, that back that far, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so I was a Cub Scout, uh, Kensington, Maryland, Pack 456, then 2. We had to raise money for the pack, so somebody decided they were going to have a sales contest, and and uh, they decided the uh, the prize would be uh, a 26 inch royal blue Schwinn uh, Varsity. Uh, anyone who's old enough knows that back then the Schwinn Varsity was the king of all bikes. I'd be the first kid on my block to actually have a 10 speed, uh, and we had the privilege of going door to door selling furnace filters. That was the product. Uh, you know, I think now they sell popcorn and things like that. You know, I think furnace filters back then were great. It was a pretty practical product. Everybody needed them. Uh, and so I was selling and actually I should say I was not selling. <laughs> right. I was, I was not being successful. And then I, I, I knocked on a door. I'm, I'm shortening the story for everybody. Uh, and, and knocked on the door of the ogre of the neighborhood, Bill Wilkes. And he was friends of my family, but big booming voice chased us out of the dead end where we played baseball, softball was on his property and he didn't like it. And I was terrified to knock on the door, but uh, you know, he actually was nice to me, brought me in, sat me down. And then he said to me, he says, so after he bought two, he said, so Billy Cates, uh, you know, what's your closing ratio? You know, I was nine years old. I didn't know what a closing ratio was. I heard, huh? Uh, he says, well, how many houses have you been to? How many sales have you made? Well, 
All right, 10 houses per sale. All right, 10%, not bad. You want to do better. And he taught me all about referrals, all about going next door and telling the neighbor that he bought two and he was their neighbor and tell them I bought two. So that's where I learned uh, referrals. That's where I learned sales. That's where I actually got interested a little bit in business uh, because he did become one of my mentors and I worked for him in, in college, high school and college for a number of years. Uh, and learned a lot from him uh, along the way. So that's, that's kind of how I got into the business world. But I diverted for a while. After college, I became a rock and roll drummer and, and uh, toured the country as a drummer in a rock and roll band uh, for a few years. And then I did a talent assessment. And I figured, you know, if I stay, even if I get better, I'll probably be playing Holiday Inns the rest of my life. Uh, and just when disco was coming out, so bands were being replaced anyway with disco machines. So I just, you know, I, I, I moved on from that and then eventually got into the business world. And along the way, there were people who helped you out, uh, whether it was in the music side of things or in business in general. You talked about your mentor growing uh, as you got into things that direction. Uh, and that's kind of where I wanted to look at today is talking about people along the way who've been able to help you. So sure. you got into book publishing at some point in time. How did that come about? Yeah. So um, what happened is I was working uh, in customer service for American Airlines at the time. And, and I had had a lull in my activity and I was reading a magazine and, and there was one of those, what they call advertorials. It looked like an article, but it was really an advertisement. And it said dollars in your mailbox. And well, I, I, w I wouldn't mind some dollars in my mailbox. That so always works. It was all about how to sell information through the mail. Uh, this was before the internet. So, uh, you know, all the information that we see proliferated on the internet now was all done with ads in the back of magazines and, and newspapers mm -hmm. and, and things like that. And so I wrote a book on airline careers. And, on, uh, I'm sorry, airline what? Air, airline careers. How to okay. get a job working for the airlines. Okay. And, because it's what I knew. And that's why they, they said, write a, if you're going to write a book, you're going to write about what you know. And I did. And I learned all about direct response marketing and sales and things like that. And then uh, cut the story a little shorter. I, I learned about cookbooks and I learned about how people, mostly women, but not exclusively women, would back then would read cookbooks and, and derive vicarious pleasure just from reading the recipes. And people collected cookbooks. And so I found myself. I know all about collecting cookbooks. Yeah, well, yeah, probably your, your wife or you. <laughs> My wife, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, and so then I borrowed $40,000 from my dad, which seemed like a lot of money back in the day. Uh, and I started a book publishing company and uh, published cookbooks, actually, for nine years. Uh, published 45 different books by different authors. Uh, I never became a great cook, but I certainly learned about it. I met Julia Child. I met Emeril. I met some of these famous folks along the way, which was kind of fun. Um, and, and then, you know, so that's how I got into that business. I just kind of found myself in it um, and figured it out. You know, I have a liberal arts degree. I have a degree in sociology. What, what's that worth? You know, not a lot, but the one thing about a liberal arts degree is that it teaches you how to learn. And so I learned how to learn. That's what my degree did for me. And so I was able to figure things out and learn uh, and then started hanging around other people who did similar things. 
and that that's key because you you've gotten to where you are because things have happened because you've planted seeds and you've nurtured relationships along the way true yeah those relationships are absolutely key in just about everything the way that businesses are built regardless of what the business happens to be Oh, yeah. I mean, I had a business partner. I had two publishing companies. One was a business partner, and that didn't happen without him. Uh, the, my, one business I sold for a lot of money. The other business I sold to get out of the debt. So when someone says they sold a business, it doesn't necessarily mean that they made a lot of money. I did with one. The other one, I said, all right, Rich, you can take the debt and you move forward. And, and so we did. Okay. Um, but I'll tell you, the business I'm in now probably most resembles or represents what you're trying to talk about. Because when I sold that business, um, I, I was looking for the next thing to do. I wasn't in a hurry, but I wanted to do something meaningful. And a friend of mine, Frank Ingo, said to me, you know, you should, you should be a, a consultant, speaker, writer. You're good at all those things. And he had seen me MC an event, a charity event and stuff. And, and I go, well, what's that? So I didn't know what that was. So... The first lesson I learned in that is if you want to do something, if you want to be someone, if you want to have a career in a certain arena or in a business, you got to hang around people who do that, right? So you learn from them, you get inspired by them, and they mentor you, teach you, uh, et cetera. So that's what I did. I joined the National Speakers Association, uh, of which you and I are members, and, um, and I started hanging around people who did it and were good at it. Uh, consulting, writing, speaking, and all of that. And so that's really where I use that. And then I'll, and one more example of that real quick is as I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, I was asked uh, to do some sales training. A, a sales trainer wanted to hire me as another one of his sales trainers, and I had to eat what I'd kill. I mean, I had to go out, sell it, and then deliver it. And um, I was a little intimidated by that. And I remember telling a couple of guys and a friend of mine, John Hurley, looked me in the eyes and said, Bill, I think you could be really good at this. And that's what tipped the scales for me. That's what made me decide to get into the business I'm in now. Not that I didn't have confidence, but the confidence of someone else, right, right. was enough to push me over the edge to do it. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes that's leadership, right, is, is – uh, I heard it. I didn't. I didn't invent this phrase, and I don't remember who said it. But uh, giving the gift of an excellent expectation, when we expect more from someone, when we know that there there is there is a better version of them in terms of what's possible, and when we give them the gift of expecting that from them, not in a you know in a harsh way, mm -hmm. but in an in inspiring and nurturing way. Uh, then that sometimes people need that, right? Yeah. Sometimes they need to find their inner confidence and strength and all of that. It's got to come from there. But sometimes that outside force can really make a difference with people. Oh, uh, absolutely. I've a uh, number of times over the years, I'm my own worst critic about putting myself down and it takes other people to give me a little boost and let me know that I've done something. So yep. I believe that, that that's a, the outside forces of that direction can be an incredible kick in the butt to get us doing things. Well, it's, it's, it's the law of inertia, actually. It's uh, Isaac Newton's first law of motion. It's a, a body in motion will stay in motion. The body at rest will remain at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. So if you're a leader and you have employees that you're trying to motivate or a team leader and you're trying to work with a group of, of folks, whatever the you know, position of leadership you might have, 
Um, sometimes we, we, to get someone off the dime, to get someone either moving at all or get them moving in a different direction, we have to be that outside force. Right. To mix metaphors, it's that rocket traveling in a direction and a little thruster will go and then it changes, right? And puts it back that, on course. Puts it back on course. And every human needs that. There's very few people who can do it by themselves. Um, especially and then, that's a great. key fact right there is knowing that. So um, a lot of folks don't realize when they are off course. And so when they get too far off, then it's much harder to come back on. Well, because we're, we're blind to a lot of that stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't care how much self-awareness you have. Uh, you know, my friend Willie Jolly says you can't see the picture if you're in the frame. I heard someone else say you can't see the label if you're on the can, but you get it, right? You're right. stuck in your own stuff, and, and right. that's where having other people in your life uh, make a big difference. I'll tell you, my mentor, my first mentor, uh, Mr. Wilkes, who was the guy who, uh, you know, bought my first two furnace filters. Uh, yeah, there, there was uh, a couple of things that have just stayed with me forever. And one of them is, he said, Billy Cates, they called me Billy back then. Uh, <laughs> if there's something not working in your life, personal, professional, business, whatever it is, the first thing you need to look at is what do you believe? Not come in with some strategic change or even tactical, which too many people go tactical too quickly. It's what do you believe? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about the other people? What do you believe about the product, the company, the, all the stuff, right? Because there's probably a belief there that's keeping you stuck. It could be about yourself, about the other person, right? If you, don't, if, you can't, if you don't believe your spouse, your loved one, your partner, you know, will ever come around to something that you would like, then guess what? They won't. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's the old Henry Ford quote, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. It is. And, and so that was big for me because um, there's a great book out now called Atomic Habits uh, by Jim Clear. And, and he's talking about this, too, is to change the direction of where you're going in your life, your trajectory. The first thing you have to do is change your picture, your conception of yourself, which is beliefs. Um, otherwise, you'll never. So Mr. Wilkes imparted that. And that is that is stood the test of time for me. Um, and, and the other thing that he taught me, uh, and it's related to that is that, you know, is to ask for help asking for, he said, asking for help is not a sign of weakness. You're going to find a lot of people out there, Billy Cates, who are afraid to ask for help because they perceive it as looking weak, but that's not the truth. The right. truth is you're going to have to ask for help. And so that is, that is certainly quite well. Right. And that, that, that's the key fact. And in today's society, especially right now with the pandemic, with COVID-19, there's people going down paths they've never been down before. And they feel that they're being weak if they do ask for help or I'm not sure what I'm doing or admit failure or something in that direction. And that reminds me of the, the great quotes from Zig Ziglar. Failure is an event. It's not who you are. Oh, yes. No question. And, and that's how you learn, right? You learn right. from your failure. So anyway. And just going, going through that. So what, what advice do you have for people today about asking for help and regardless of what type of a position they're in, whether they're in a sales job or whether they're in a marketing management job or whether they're just working in a retail or wherever today, what advice would you say about, you know, getting out there and just doing it as opposed to the old expression, pick yourself up by the bootstraps? 
Yeah, well, you know, the first thing to do is, is well, <laughs> some people are, you know, ready, aim, fire people, right? They're getting ready, they're getting ready, they're getting ready, then they're taking aim and they're taking aim. I got a, I got a colleague, friend of mine, you know, and we just keep saying to the guy, when are you going to actually do something, right? And there are other people who just fire and then they pick up the mess afterwards. Um, but the common denominator in those things is taking action, right? Right. And we can't always wait for perfect, clear, or perfect clarity, I should say, in what we're trying to accomplish and what we want to do. It's nice to be clear. It's nice to have a clear path. The brain loves clarity and certainty, but it's not always easy to come by. And so we can't wait for that to start taking action. Sometimes we have to take action looking for the clarity, looking for the vision of what we want to do. So right. that's a piece of advice of, of don't get, you know, if you find yourself stuck and you're not sure what to do next, ask for help, you know, look for people who've done what you want to do or something at least similar, mm-hmm. find out how they got unstuck and then find a little place to take action. You don't have to do it all at once, right? Uh, take a little, you know, and a, a very uh, wise person said to me once, uh, well begun is half done. Meaning if you start well, mm-hmm. start on the path, then, then, then the inertia, you're getting through that. And then you're going to start to get it done. And, and, right. and so it's the take an action thing. Uh, and that's the same thing when you're in sales or whether you're in business. Is, get, yeah. is getting out there and making that first thing. Yeah. And, um, and, and being willing to have egg on your face from time to time. Yeah. Who cares? You know. Right. So you're not going to see you again anyway. So. <laughs> well, let's, let's hope not. I hope they will see you again if you're making sales to them. Yeah. So let's, you know, you've got books out about referrals and don't keep me a secret beyond referrals. All of those have been best-selling books for salespeople mm-hmm. in, in that the relationship part of the sale is absolutely critical. I'm assuming, is that about right? Well, yeah, it, it, it really boils down to trust. Right. Um, right. They, they trust your knowledge. They trust, you as a person, that, that's why referrals and introdu- introductions work so well, because that's borrowed trust, right? If, if you, Greg, is re- are referring to me, to Laura, and, and you say to Laura, hey, you know, talk to Bill, it'll be worth some of your time, it's really helped me. Well, I'm going to leverage that borrowed, borrowed trust. I'm going to ride that borrowed trust. And the stronger the trust between you and Laura, the, the more I have to use, right? Right. Uh, you know, Laura could say, well, if Greg's working with you, know, that's all I need to hear. Right. And sometimes that'll work in certain, certain circumstances. And other times we have to keep building our own trust, but it really does come down to trust. And in my mind, um, trust is an emotion and it's a feeling, right? It's hard to articulate. We can say why we trust. Well, they did what they said they were going to do and, or they admitted they made a mistake and then they fixed it. Right. Those are things that, that can engender trust. Uh, but it's a feeling. And when I was doing uh, research for my latest book, Radical Relevance, I got a chapter on neuroscience and neuroscience of relevance. And I learned that they have finally actually proven what everyone thought, right? Everyone for the longest time has been saying people make decisions based on emotion. This is any, any decision, by the way, any mm-hmm. human decision, mm-hmm. right? And not to be a salesman based on human emotion. And they, uh, Antonio Damasio had these, uh, these subjects uh, where the part of the brain that felt emotion was damaged. And so if they couldn't feel emotion, they literally could not make decisions. I mean, they were just like paralyzed decision-wise. 
they couldn't decide if they're going to wheat flakes or corn flakes for breakfast. That's tough. Uh, and so if we know that, if we know at the core of every human decision is emotion, then when we're trying to influence, be it in sales, in a team, in an organization, whatever it is, mm-hmm. we have to strike that. Uh, and it doesn't mean the facts, the figures, the illustrations, the graphs, uh, the studies. It doesn't mean that stuff isn't relevant. It's absolutely relevant. But what they do is they elicit an emotion. They elicit an emotional response right. that then creates action. And so, you know, if, if you're trying to influence folks and you're trying to help them trust you, if you're trustworthy, worthy of trust, then you ultimately have to figure out what they want, right? It's right. not what you want. It's what they want in conjunction with what you want. And, right. you know, that's, that's what I've learned, and, 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 and that's been huge for me. And on a team, that's absolutely critical. We've talked about it with several other guests on the uh, podcast series here about the power of trust and specifically vulnerability trust. And allowing yourself to be somewhat vulnerable in there is huge when it comes to building trust with your teammates, when it comes to building trust with the subordinates, when you're starting to pull the culture together. Everybody has to have that level of trust. Yeah, and and trust doesn't mean you agree with everybody. Oh, no, not at all. Trust doesn't even necessarily mean you like them. We tend to like people we trust. Yeah. Um, But, and and it doesn't, also doesn't mean you have to trust them in every area of their life. Exactly. For instance, I have a best buddy of mine, the same guy that said, Bill, you would be good at this, that John Hurley. Right. John shows up late for everything. I don't trust John to show up on time, but I do trust him to tell me exactly what he thinks is I'm doing right, wrong. He'll give me honest feedback. You know, uh, he'll, he'll be there. For, he'll be the guy hanging on the rope. If I'm hanging off the cliff, right. Pulling me back up. I do trust him for that. So we realize that the trust doesn't have to be in every aspect. Right. Only in what we're trying to do, working together, does that trust have to be there. Exactly. A lot of times I'll ask uh, my clients, I said, have you ever worked with somebody you liked but didn't trust? Oh, yeah. Say, yeah. And then I said, have you ever worked with somebody you trust but you really didn't like? And I, they go, yeah. I said, well, obviously you want to work with somebody you trust and like. That's preferable. That's preferable. But <laughs> or like well you, enough. Yeah. yeah. Get along and then, I, then I'll often say, you know, so which would you rather work with, somebody you like or somebody you trust? Trust wins every time. Every yeah, time. Especially if you're trying to accomplish something, right? Right. You're, and you're so trying that's, to work together to accomplish something. Absolutely. Right. So what's the commonalities that you've seen in your years of working, both in book publishing and building an organization there, as well as in the sales field and working with financial services at all, what are the commonalities between those types of teams and teams that are in a government or a bureaucratic situation or in a small business, all of those, what's, what do you find as commonalities? Yeah, I'm going to get to some stuff that is often considered trite, but it's not trite if it's done right. Yeah, just right. thought of that. Write that down. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> it's not trite if it's done right. right. So, and th- and that really boils down to to this the old thing of of of, of uh, mission, vision, uh, and and and, um, and values. And so, I mean, how many organizations have gone through the values and the mission and vision and then stuck in a drawer somewhere, right? 
Mm-hmm. And so they don't want to go through it again because they know the first time they never, they never went anywhere anyway. So what's the point? But when an organization actually does that work and then keeps that work lively, always forefront, what is our purpose, right? What is right. the vision? What are we trying to accomplish with our purpose, right? And what are the values that are going to guide all of that? And if we look at those on a very regular basis and we make our decisions based on that, right. now this is a living, breathing thing that gets people on the same page and working together and it creates clarity in the organization. One of the reasons teams and organizations break down is because is they're, they're not clear. They have different interpretations, right? And, 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 and what you can be on the same page today and then a month later you're not on the same page. So that's why mm-hmm. you got to keep realigning to those things. And it's got to be the core values. It's got to come back to that. It's got to come back. And then I would say um, what most organizations do, and it's okay, is they do these things, they revisit them, it's all good, but it's all internal focus. I think it's much more powerful to have values, uh, mission, and vision that's not just internally focused, but externally focused, meaning our customers, our clients. And then we can actually talk about our values and mission and vision to prospects and to clients that draws them in, that draws them to us. It's actually having the right values and mission and vision in place actually is a sales tool, can be a sales and marketing tool if used properly. Uh, so I know I'm going back to stuff. Some people are rolling their eyes, like going up the vision mission thing again. Well, if it's done right and if it's kept lively, it's huge. It's absolutely huge to, uh, go back. We had a guest on the podcast, uh, several weeks ago, uh, Hanan Landa, who is the CEO of optimal networks. And he's got his core values with his organization that they set forth when he started over 20 years ago. And he has actually terminated people because they haven't followed the core values. And when they stay close to that, he's been able to take that business and grow it. Well, that builds so, trust, right? Exactly. If, if everyone has the shared, same shared values and it means roughly the same thing to everybody, mm-hmm. you know, close enough, then that's what guides the, the building of the trust. No Absolutely. Question. And that, that was the key factors there. So he's, you're reiterating what he said. He's talking about the same thing you said. So we're starting to see the consistency in that. And it's not trite. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And I think these are universal principles, if you will. I think, you know, strategies change. Tactics certainly change. Certain principles never change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know for what that's worth. <laughs> Well, let, let's, talk, let's go something a little bit lighter here a little uh, as we talk. Okay. You've had the privilege to do a lot of traveling in your years. I mean, you've been around the world. You've spoken on five continents. You've been to Machu Picchu. I've got several friends who've done that, that beautiful walk. Um, mm-hmm. But you've also done some other things, uh, and specifically at Mount Kilimanjaro. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that because there's no doubt about it. In something like that, you're relying on different people to help you get through different parts of everything there. How important is teamwork in something like that? Probably couldn't do it without teamwork. Um, and so I'll, I'll give you a, I mean, for, for those who don't know Kilimanjaro, it's not a technical climb. It's not K2. It's not Everest. Um, but it's a pretty tough walk because you're eventually hitting 19,300 feet. Um, and, for us, the last camp before we hit the summit was at 18.5. Uh, 
and you can't breathe. I couldn't take my shoes off. I had to have my, my, my uh, Porter Benny take my shoes off. Uh, most people can't sleep at that altitude because there's just not enough oxygen coming into the body. So uh, it's, you know, again, it's not Everest, but it's a tough, it, you, you got to prepare for it. You can't go right. unprepared. And so the first team would be the guys I was going with and we trained together. Uh, we climbed up stairs in apartment buildings and hotels with packs on our back and all kinds of stuff. And so we trained together there. But the real team came when we got there to Tanzania. And, and uh, so we had, all right, so there were five on this, this uh, hike up the mountain. And we had uh, one, two, three, four guides and 35 porters. So for five people, we had a team of almost 40 people. And that's how you get these people up to the top, especially people who aren't acclimated, aren't used to doing this sort of right. thing, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, and then each person had their own job, and uh, they, were, they were a team just to watch them do their thing. Each person knew exactly what they needed to do, and, but with a, you know, an attitude of customer service, we were the customers. Uh, we come, we'd come to the camp, the, whatever we camp we were going to, they'd be there ahead of us. They'd be singing for us and greeting us and with some of their Tanzanian songs and dances. And it's just, it was a blast, but it was the team that got us up there. Um, and when I couldn't carry my pack anymore, you know, they carried my pack for me. When, when I was in uh, a different time when Nepal, uh, we were at Everest base camp and I got an altitude sickness. Um, and I had to descend a little bit. I couldn't. I had a team pick me up and actually carry me down until I got better. So, yeah, you can't do any of that without, without a team. And without, you know, you mentioned vulnerability, right? Just if, if, if you go into something like that feeling like you're not going to let them help you, you're going to do it by yourself, by golly, you won't make it, right? You just won't make it because it, it, sometimes you just can't suck it up enough. Right. You, know, you need that help. So, uh, yeah. I've said for many years, I said, most people in this world really will want to help you. And they oh, yeah. step up to help. The challenge is most of us are afraid to ask for help. A lot of people are. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they perceive it. People perceive it as a weakness. You know, my, mm -hmm. my wife doesn't like to ask for help. Uh, so I learned something, by the way. Yeah. Um, when I offered her help, you know, whatever she'd say, if I want your help, I'll ask for it. Oh, okay. Right. She don't like to ask for help. She wants to do it herself. And then, um, and sometimes she would ask for help. So what I started saying, I said, uh, I just want to let you know that uh, if you need any assistance, I didn't use the word help. If you need any assistance, I'm here. Happy to do that. Happy to be, you know, be there. And that made like all the difference in the world. It's like, oh, okay, thank you. You know, it wasn't like, I don't need your help. It was like, yeah. oh, okay, thank you. Yeah. And it just, just that little shift sometimes makes all the difference in the world too. But. And that's, that's a key fact that you just brought up. Just a little shift and a little bit of a, a change of a word. Um, can make a difference, yeah. Can make a huge difference. In, in business every day, there are times we say one word and that can go in a different direction. Social media gets us caught into that all the time today. And so uh, just be cognizant of it and then find ways that we can actually step in to do things like that. I think it's going to be very key for everybody. Well, yeah. If someone's resisting an idea, 
that you put forth to the team, to the group, mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, and you start to, to dig a little bit and learn, help me understand, right? Uh, the three most powerful words I've ever learned in my life in, to help me in business and in interpersonal relationships. Are you ready? Yep. Tell me more. Just mm -hmm. tell me more, right? And they will tell you more. And then you realize that maybe it's their reaction to that word, right? Well, I don't need help. I don't want help. Oh, okay. So that concept, and so I change it to, I'm here to assist if you need it, you know, or if it would like it, not even need it, mm -hmm. uh, made, made a big difference for me and my wife, right? So there are little places where you learn, because every word means something to someone, and it, what it means to you might be different than what it means to me at an emotional, visceral level. Mm -hmm. And so when you say, tell me more, help me understand, you know, you know the why behind your position, uh, that's when you can learn that if you shift your words a little bit, then all of a sudden they get it and they're, and they're on board. Yeah. Micro shifts. Yep. Those little Good. adjustments, just like the yep. airplane example you were using earlier, the rocket example. Yep. Um, and little in-flight corrections along the way is yep. those little changes that can really bring us back in point for, the, for individuals as well as the team itself. Yeah, it could and change the direction forever. Yep. Right. Right. And if there's level of trust is there, then we can have those confident discussions and be able to build commitments to move forward. Sure. I think that's key. Yeah. Bill Cates, not Gates. Sorry. <laughs> Join us here today on the Teamwork Advantage. Uh, Bill's uh, been uh, recognized in Success Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine. He's also one of the founding members of the Million Dollar Speakers Group and was inducted into the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame in 2010. There's only 182 people living members right now worldwide with that distinction. Bill, it's been a privilege to have you here. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to call you a friend as well as a colleague over the years. Absolutely. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, they can find you at the referral. Is it the referral coach? Well, just, just referral coach, referral coach.com. Referral coach.com. Or just, you know, put in Bill Cates on LinkedIn. I'll probably show up or you put Bill Cates on the internet. I should own the first two pages. So there are other Bill Cates out in the world. Mm -hmm. I, I've met a few of them from time to time. Right. But I, I kind of own them. On the internet. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Kate, C-A-T-E-S. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Teamwork Advantage. We'll be back next week with somebody new and exciting to share with you about ways you can grow your team, be a better leader, and create the right culture for your organization. And as I always say, do not have a good day. Because when you have a good day, you're being average. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're not average. So go make it a great day. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon. Take care. You've been listening to the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit TeamsRock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.